0: I got a new toy this uh past week is uh the e t church plant team they uh all ten of them they got together enough money to get me this digital s l r so uh in honor of their wonderful generous hearts, I want to take a picture of you guys from the pulpit so uh i 'm gonna I want you guys all to smile right now, all right ready You guys are beautiful. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're beautiful. You're beautiful. All right. Hallelujah. The message I'm about to preach today may sound familiar because it's a message that I got to preach two years ago before I became the lead pastor here at New Philadelphia. March 22nd, 2008. So uh, this is uh, based upon that message. But man, sometimes messages are so good, they need to be preached again. Amen? Amen. And uh, We do have a lot of uh, people that didn't hear that message from before. So I'm going to preach this message, provide some new insights as well. Uh, Look at Luke 24, verse 2 through 3. Verse 1 actually says, On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I have uh, four words for you today. And that is, the tomb is empty. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. The tomb is empty. Tell your neighbor that. The tomb is empty. Tomb is empty. <laughs> you know, the morning after the Sabbath, the woman took spices and they went to take perfumes and spices and anoint Jesus' body, the Bible tells us that they did not find the body. When Peter and John heard about this, they ran to the tomb, but they didn't find the body either. And when Christianity started to explode in the Roman Empire and spread like wildfire, the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities, all they had to do to stop this movement was to produce the body of Jesus. They too could not find the body. Hallelujah. Today, archaeology has discovered the bodies of various ancient kings, but they have never found the remains of Jesus' body. Why don't you point your prophetic finger at your neighbor, Tom? They ain't never going to find that body. (laughs) Hallelujah. The tomb was empty 2,000 years ago, and the tomb is still empty today. Amen? The body of the Lord Jesus has not been found and will never be found because he's risen from the dead, just as he prophesied. Brothers and sisters, do you know what raised Christ from the dead? Was it medicine? Was it that electric shock thing? Where to go, you know, all clear. Poof. What raised Jesus from the dead? What was necessary to roll around roll away that huge stone that was blocking his grave? What raised Christ from the dead? It's power. Power raised Christ from the dead. Romans 1 4 says. The Holy Spirit declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power. Declared this with power by His resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit declared Jesus is the Son of God. And He declared this with power by resurrecting Him from the dead. And the good news is the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us today. This is the same power... That is available to us today. Power to overcome sin. Power to destroy bondage. Power to heal the sick. Power over evil spirits. Power to forgive and love. Power to even raise the dead. The word of God says in 1 Corinthians 5, 20, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. You know, sometimes you look at Christianity and there's a lot of talk, talk, talk. Now Christianity, man. There's a lot of talk in Christianity, in there. But you know what? Is the Bible's saying, "Talk is cheap." You can talk, talk all you want, but ain't the kingdom of God unless you demonstrate the power of God. Because the kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. If we want to see God's kingdom advance, we got to possess the faith that the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead and rolled away, rolled away that huge stone is the same power that is available to us. And instead of bringing the word of God down to our level of experience, we got to bring our experience up to the level of God, the, the word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. We got to contend to our experience is at the level of God's word. And you know, so many people, man, you ask them to pray for the sick. They pray for the sick, nothing happens. They say, hey, pray again. They pray for the sick again, nothing happens. And then you know what they conclude? This doesn't work. And then if they hear that other people are healing the sick, they say, well, I guess it works for them, but not for me. And it's so quickly, the people of God, they conclude a doctrine that requires no faith. And they bring the word of God down to their level of experience or their lack of experience. And brothers and sisters, we got to stop doing that. we got to stop doing that. we got to bring our experience. And we got to contend with a faith that believes God as the God of power until our experience is at the level of the word of God. Until the things that we read about in the book of Acts, in the New Testament are the things that we experience. we got to be a people that contend. Amen? Amen? When people see the lame walk, the blind see cancer healed, demons being cast out, drug addictions broken, depression being lifted, people being healed of horrible trauma, when people see these things, they see the power of God. And that's when the kingdom of God has truly come near. That's when we are manifesting the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew twelve twenty eight that the way that you can tell that the kingdom of God has come upon you is when the finger of God casts out demons. The way you can tell the kingdom of God has come upon you is when demons are being cast out. Hallelujah. And you can't cast out demons without power. And Jesus commanded us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about time the church woke up and we realized that in order to build the kingdom of God, we must manifest and demonstrate the power of God. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Hallelujah. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Church, do you want to know the power of His resurrection? Do you want to know the power of His resurrection? If that's you, turn, turn to your neighbor, tell him I got to have the power of the resurrection. Back when I was a kid, there was a cartoon on TV called Casper the Friendly Ghost. The cartoon was all about this young ghost boy named Casper who was unlike the other ghosts because Casper was a friendly ghost and he would help humans. Early on in church history, there were some heresies, some cults. That began to teach that Jesus never resurrected in bodily form. But only in spirit form. Kind of like Casper the friendly ghost. When Jesus resurrected. He didn't resurrect it in a physical body. He resurrected in just a spirit form. And what y'all saw was a ghost. Okay. This may explain how Jesus would suddenly appear and disappear. Inside locked rooms. He would just teleport like you know in star trek you know jesus would just appear to people and just just kind of like surprise them and shock them startle them now does the bible describe his resurrection in this way it's a question was it merely a spiritual appearance or did jesus appear in the flesh look with me at luke 24 verse 36 through 39 Luke 24, verse 36 through 39. Check this out. As they were talking about these things, these are the disciples. Jesus himself himself stood among them. This is after Jesus was crucified. All of a sudden, he stood among them and said to them, peace be to you, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Or in the older translations, it says, they thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Hallelujah. Is somebody with me on this right now? What Jesus is saying is, look, I ain't the, I ain't like Casper, the friendly ghost. This is me. I am here in the flesh and blood. And if you don't believe me, touch me. Touch my scars. Hallelujah. Christ's resurrection, brothers and sisters, was a physical resurrection. Amen. And Jesus, and because Jesus resurrected in the physical body, I'm here to proclaim to you today that you also will share in that same resurrection. You will share in a physical resurrection of your body. You might be asking, well, Pastor Christian, where'd you get that idea? I thought when we... Die and go to heaven. Our spirits just go there. You know, into the clouds of heaven. Our spirits go there and we don't need our bodies anymore. Okay. Well, the better question is, where did you get that idea? (laughs) Because it's not in the Bible. I don't know. That's what I grew up with too. When I was growing up, that's what I thought. You know, when we die, our spirit starts to lift up out of our bodies and then we just go to heaven and we're just spirits just like hey man what's up yo yo and you try to high-five each other but you can't because you don't have a body (laughs) you're like man i'm hungry psych i'm (laughs) like i don't have a body so how can i be hungry and it's just you know our spirits just chilling in heaven and i just thought that's what the way it was but it's not what i found in the bible The Bible, brothers and sisters, talks about the resurrection of the physical body. Think about it. You won't be you without your body. For everyone who is in Christ, the body you have now is one day going to be clothed with immortality. Our bodies will be raised in a spirit... Not just raised in a spirit, but also we're going to be raised physically and materially. It is mentioned in the Apostles' Creed because Scripture teaches this in many ways. Philippians 3.21 says that Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And what was his glorious body? It was a physical one. We know that Christ was raised in a physical body because the disciples ate and drank with him. We also looked upon here in Luke that Jesus outright declared that his resurrection was a physical one. Since Christ's resurrection is the pattern for our resurrection, Colossians 1.18 says, He is the firstborn among the dead. Meaning, his resurrection is The pattern for our resurrection, well, well, therefore, we also will be raised in a physical body as well. Romans 8.23 says, we eagerly await, we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our hearts. No, the redemption of our bodies. Everybody, touch your shoulder right now. Touch your shoulder. Touch your face. I didn't say slap it. Why y'all slapping? Just touch it. You know. Touch your neighbor on the shoulder. Just gently. Just touch him. We all have physical bodies, don't we? And what the gospel is saying is. This physical body is not going to be done away with. But it's going to be redeemed. Our bodies are not going to be discarded and left to rot. They are going to be renewed and redeemed. Redeemed and renewed. Hallelujah. Even in the Old Testament, it speaks of the resurrection as being physical. We read in Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Hallelujah. This means that at the end of the age, for every person that has died, their bodies will be renewed and reunited with their soul and spirit. And there will be no more disease, allergies. Back aches. Can I get an amen? amen. Glasses. Amen. What, you think God's going to leave your glasses on? You really like your glasses that much? I mean, you can wear, wear wear without the prescription. You can do that if you want. But you won't need glasses. No more cavities. No more lactose intolerance. Hallelujah. Amen. And look, check this out. If you got plastic surgery... Everybody going to find out later. <laughs> Your body will be redeemed. This also means that death will be a thing of the past. It will be this distant memory that people talk about. Remember when death used to be around? Alright. And eternity, every chapter of eternity is just going to get better than, than the previous one. This is going to get better and better and better. Everlasting life. We will enjoy. We will reign with Christ. It's going to be glorious. That means also at the marriage banquet of the Lamb, we're going to eat. Do you know that? A lot of people don't think about this. But at the marriage supper of the Lamb, I believe this is a physical feast. It's a supper. It's It's a... it's it's actually like, like a buffet. I don't know how it's going to work, but look. You're going to eat something. You're going to eat steak. You're going to eat fried chicken. Kimchi chicken. You're going to jump up and down, dance and run. And you're going to have to go to the restroom later. Because you will have a physical body. Jesus himself said that. Luke 22, verse 30. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel jesus just meant it was like a figurative thing you know eat and drink figuratively at the at the you know resurrection you know no (laughs) jesus liked to keep it real he used he he was just real simple with the people i mean jesus knew all the hard stuff but man he he also knew how to keep it real and when he says you're going to eat and drink he means you're going to eat and drink at my table hallelujah Praise the Lord. And I think it's wonderful that the resurrection, also known as the glorification of our bodies, is going to occur all at the same time. Although we all lived at different time periods, separated by thousands of years and thousands of miles, it's an amazing thing that God has planned that our glorification will occur at the same time. This means that Noah Moses David the apostle Paul Charles Spurgeon Dr Bill Bright we're all going to share in the resurrection together and at the same time you see they're up there they're they're rooting us on to finish the race because they can't wait for the feast they can't wait for the resurrection the resurrection of the bodies now you may be asking yourself How does the future resurrection of my body apply to my spiritual walk? What's that got to do with me today? How does my future resurrection apply to my spiritual walk? Well, check this out. When the resurrection of the body is rightly understood, it can have radical effects on your faith. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Come on first Corinthians chapter 15 and let me just pray a brief prayer Lord I just bind every distracting Spirit, every spirit of slumber, every spirit of doubt right now I bind by the blood of Christ. And I just pray for your anointing to be upon the hearts of your people, so that they may respond with a life of faith to your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, Amen. Look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse twelve through nineteen. Verse 12, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. we are of all people most to be pitied. I want you to read that last line with me again. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, I was listening to um, a John Piper sermon once. And he, in it, he mentioned, <clears throat> he mentioned the point that I'm about to make. And he preluded it with a story about a group of Italian Cistercian Catholic monks that never talk. Besides, when they're singing and confessing their sins, their life is lived in complete silence and meditation. A television reporter once asked them, what if you were to realize that at the end of your life that atheism is true, that there is no God, tell me, what if that were true? And one of the leaders there responded like this. He said, holiness, silence, and sacrifice are beautiful in themselves, even without promise of reward. I still would have used my life well. Sounds like a pretty good answer, huh? Wow, that's great. What a selfless man. What a virtuous guy. Now, if you remember the last verse of the scripture we just read, did you know that it is the complete opposite of what this monk just said? Check it out, verse 19. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why did Paul not agree with this Catholic monk? Why didn't Paul say, even if Christ isn't raised from the dead, even if there is no God, a life lived in love, truth, and sacrifice is a good life, Reward or no reward, I've lived my life well. Why didn't Paul say that? Why? Instead, Paul said, if our hope in Christ does not go beyond this life, if this is it, if what we see here is it, he says, I am the most pitiful fool that I've ever lived. Why is he talking like this? Why is he talking like this? Well, you see, in order to understand what Paul is saying, you got to look at the way he lived. You got to consider the things that he went through. You see, the resurrection of the dead guided and strengthened him to do things which would be considered insane without the hope of a physical resurrection. He's thinking about all of the dangers that he faced the imprisonments, the beatings, the shipwrecks, the sleepless nights, being exposed to cold, hunger, and thirst, all the risks he took and the sacrifices he made. He looks at all of these things and says that the life he has chosen in following Jesus is foolish and pitiable if there is no physical resurrection from the dead. In other words, only the resurrection of Christ And the resurrection from the dead can make sense of all the physical suffering he endured he went through what he went through because of the hope of the resurrection and this ain't true he's saying that I'm the most pitiful man on earth because everything I've done is a lie everything I went through makes no sense anymore if there is no resurrection from the dead. Paul's Christian life was a life in which he freely chose risk and suffering in the cause of loving others and bringing the gospel to them. And he didn't do it grudgingly. He did it with joy. And this joy was a joy rooted In hope. And this hope was in the hope of the resurrection. This hope freed him to embrace suffering. Suffering that he otherwise would have never chosen. He says, the life I have chosen is a fool's life if there is no resurrection from the dead. See, brothers and sisters, the reason why a lot of Christians today, they don't live a life of faith. You see, when you live a life of faith, there's uncertainty. Because if everything was laid out before you, you say, God, God, show me your will. God, show me your will. He says, oh, here, check your email. There it is. If that's the way God worked, they require no faith. You can just follow the directions. You don't even have to depend on your relationship with God. Just follow a bunch of plans, whatever he planned out for you. And Christians, they don't understand that because, you know, it's because of the type of messages we've been fed and the type of messages we tend to focus on that many Christians, they don't live lives of faith. They rather they live lives where they seek to maximize their comforts. Rather than to advance the kingdom of God. You see, the goodness of God, the favor of God. You know, a lot of people come up to me and they, and they ask for me to pray for them when they're doing a job hunt. And I pray for people in the last three months. And we've seen some cool and incredible results. People getting jobs. Show, being shown a lot of favor at the interview. God just giving them the favor. Hallelujah. But when it comes down to it, man. There is an there is a grace that is upon myself and my ministry to release that. I don't know how it works. All I know is when I pray for people, it gets released, right? Right, Doug? He got Doug went job hunting the year before, got no offers. I prayed for him. He went job hunting again, and of course he got better, and he, you know he's a more you know mature man and everything. But man, this time he went job hunting. How many job offers you got? he got four job offers and now now he's, he's he's working for LG you know he's he's working faithfully there that's the favor of god but you know all that favor and and god's goodness and provision when i'm praying for that stuff i'm not praying and i may not tell you this but i'm not praying with in mind lord just bless him and just bless him and that's the end of it no it's like I'm aiming for you to get that favor and goodness and get that job and whatever, like get that breakthrough. I'm aiming for that, but I got another aim behind that. That's the will of the Lord. That is the advancement of his kingdom. It's the glory of God. That's what I see right behind that. I don't tell you that. But when I say, Lord, release your favor on this man. Hallelujah. I'm praying, release your favor so that he can live a life of faith. He would, he would make decisions of faith even in the face of risk and uncertainty. Even when his very life is threatened. Even if he has to endure suffering. Build him up to that place of faith so that he would choose to obey. Even if all that was presented before him. I'm praying that. It's like, it's like a bowler. You know, I'm a bad bowler. When I bowl, I look for the middle and I aim for the middle and I shoot like I aim for the middle. But then it never goes to the middle. But when you see a good bowler, first time you see a good bowler bowl, they have this weird, strange form that you weren't, you don't, you're not used to. And then all of a sudden, they, they throw that ball, and then you're like, ah you missed, sucker. And that ball starts going all the right way to the edge, and you're like, ah, oh, this guy sucks. And all of a sudden, the ball starts to come right back to the middle of strike. You're like, let me try that. You start aiming for the edge, and it goes into the gutter. Because the bowlers, they know how to spin the ball. But check that out. When the bowler, he knows how to spin the ball, he doesn't, he's not aiming for the middle. He, he's aiming for one of the targets to the side. Because he knows if he can get it right up there, the spin factor will take it in with enough momentum to crash into a strike. Well, in that same way, the favor of God, the goodness of God, all these good things that we experience from the Father of lights, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, right? Every, all these good things that we experience from God's hand, And God gives it to you. I mean, he gives it to you because he loves you, number one. But man, he's also got this like behind-the-scenes agenda. He's not trying to manipulate you, but he's just trying to get you to a place of maturity, get you to a place that's bigger than you are. So he'll release that blessing. He'll release that favor. But he's not aiming for what you think he's aiming for. And we need to get this, today's message. We need to get this today. You see, God's purpose in sending his son to the cross was not so we can simply get to heaven. That was like, that was like, um, that's like the, 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 the spot that the, the spinning bowler is aiming for. That's the near, near target. But that's not God's ultimate target. It's not just for you to go to heaven. If, if, if God's only purpose for sending His Son was to get you to heaven, He'll kill you right now. He'll save you, kill you, and then right, come on in. <laughs> As for some people, man, they don't know how to deal with life, and they just—that's what they want. Well, that's not God's purpose. You see, that's not—that's not His main purpose. That's not His only purpose. <laughs> his purpose is not just to get you to heaven; it's to get heaven into you. Amen. Somebody say, "Amen." He wants you to become a disciple. He wants you to be a student of his word. He wants you filled with his spirit so that once you get the mind and heart of heaven in you, you release that kingdom of heaven around you. Hallelujah. And this is the message that that is largely ignored and neglected in the church. Because sometimes it's a consumer-oriented ministry. A lot of ministers will compromise the message, in order to maximize their attendance, to maximize the, the ties or whatever. Hallelujah. But, brothers and sisters, what we want to maximize here is not attendance. Although attendance is good, hallelujah, and we're praying for that. We want to maximize the supremacy of Christ in all things. And what you realize is, as you seek his kingdom, and you pray the will of heaven be done on earth. The more you live that out, the more you realize you're going to face opposition and warfare. Because when you try to establish the kingdom of God on the earth, what you realize is there is a dark kingdom that's already here. And that kingdom also has a prince. And Satan is not interested... And just letting you in. There's going to be a war. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be real attack. Jesus said, if they mistreated you, if they treat me like this, be sure of it, they're also going to mistreat you. The student's not above his teacher. And in the face of this type of opposition and warfare, God doesn't tell us. Hey, take it easy. Hey, the point of all this Christianity is to maximize your comfort while you're here on this earth. You know? When you face this type of opposition, God doesn't say, hey, take it easy. No. He says you got to push through. Hallelujah. You know, God is a God-centered God. It's all right when you're a baby Christian to experience God as seeming like, you know, God is very centered on you. I think there's nothing wrong with that. When you're a baby, what did you think? You know, the baby, the baby, you know, they think the world revolves around them. You know, and it takes, you know, some people are still like that. You still think the world revolves around you, right? Uh, babies, babies naturally, they grow out of that. And there's nothing wrong with you thinking that if you're a baby Christian. But look, if you are getting more and more mature, you need to put those childish ways behind you and you need to go on to maturity, hallelujah, as an adult. Stop just feeding on the milk, get some meat down in you. I don't want to chew. Man, you can't stop that laziness. Open up the Word of God. Study it. Learn how to chew for yourselves. But as a Christian, you make up the best meals. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got that right. Amen to that. But look, check it out. You need to learn how to feed yourself during the week. My goal is not just to maximize your comfort as a Christian. And for you to just experience his favor and goodness for the rest of your life and that's it and that's the goal. No. It's to present you, the Bible says, holy and blameless in Christ. To present the church holy and blameless and mature. First Colossians chapter one. Hallelujah. And when you face opposition, And even if you are called upon to suffer for the cause of Christ, there is one thing and one thing only that will strengthen you at that hour. And that's the hope of our resurrection. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if I didn't have this hope, none of what I went through makes sense. Everything I went through then just is stupid. Foolish, pitiful. What a wasted life I've lived. There's no hope in the resurrection. But look, you see the hope of the resurrection? You see the hope of the resurrection? The hope of... That's a nice picture. The hope of the resurrection? This is what will carry you through whatever opposition Satan sends your way. Whatever persecution you might face at the hands of men. Check this out. What I'm trying to say to you today. Yes, you know, well, what about just uh, getting to see Jesus? What about that? What about just getting to, you know, be before God? Yeah, 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 that's good too. That's good too. But you see, if that's the only thing that's keeping you going, I'm telling you, when you start to suffer, you, you get shaken up. You will not be able to get through it. It's the hope of the resurrection. That's the key. It's the hope of the resurrection. That's the key. Check this out. Earlier in my sermon, I mentioned Philippians 3.10, right? Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, let me read the rest of the passage for you. Philippians 3, verse 10 and 11. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm, getting, I'm getting excited. Paul, Paul is saying, look, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in love relationship. I want to know the power of that resurrection. I want to also share in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings that I might be become l- like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. If you get into the mind of Paul, it's the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection that is carrying him through every beating that he endures. If there is no resurrection from the dead, you know there are many other ways than Christianity to improve your life on earth. If your aim in life is to maximize pleasure, comfort, and success on this planet, then Christianity is probably not for you. That's not what Christianity is designed to do, and it will not do this for you. That's why verse 32 of that same chapter, Paul says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He's not saying, let us just be drunkards and live in debauchery because there's no resurrection. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, If the dead are not raised, What's the use of anyone choosing a radical life? Just live normal. Go raise a family. Go get your paycheck. What is the use? If the debt are not raised, what's the use of living a radical, risk-taking, faith-filled life? Just be middle class. Just eat, drink, Exercise. Maximize your comfort on the earth. But you see, Paul chose not to be normal. You see, when you choose full obedience to Christ, you're going to choose a life that is not normal, according to much of the the church today. It's not normal. But to Christ, it's normal. But the rest of the church will be like, man, why why are you being so extreme? You You ever... you know, I, I, we, you know, even when we send like some of our students, our young people to missions, a lot of the times the parents would be like, what? "Why, why you got, why got to do all that? Just go to church. Just go to church. Pay your tithes. Why you got to go out on the mission field?" You know, sometimes my dad be like, "Hey, you ain't going to Afghanistan, are you? I heard about what happened to that Korean missionary. Hey, uh, they don't, they don't. The Muslims they don't like, they don't like all that Christian Christianity being pushed on them. Hey, don't do that." Just do me a favor. Hey, you can do all that Moksa stuff, but you know, don't don't go to Afghanistan, all right? Paul chose to be radical. And being radical at times meant he chose suffering. And what was the source of this radical obedience? The answer is given. First Corinthians 15 20. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, since the resurrection is real, Paul closes this chapter by exhorting us, in verse 58, stand firm, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because nothing you suffer for the Lord is in vain. Hallelujah. Because of the hope of the resurrection, he is standing on that hope, and he's exhorting us, stand firm, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Endure all that suffering with joy because nothing that you have endured for the Lord is in vain. The hope of the resurrection radically changed the way Paul lived. He was not afraid of risk. He was not afraid of death. When the threat of death becomes a door to paradise, it takes away the power of that threat, doesn't it? Uh, Matthew Henry, a Bible commentator, said like this. He says, The apostle Paul was willing to do or to suffer anything to attain the glorious resurrection of the saints. This hope and prospect carried him through all difficulties in his work. Brothers and sisters, New Philadelphia has been called as a church to take light into darkness. Yeah, we got the grace of God. Yeah, we got the favor. Yeah, we got the power. But look, it ain't easy. It's going to be difficult. This church plant today in the E10 one, it's going to be difficult. We are going to face opposition. There's going to be some things that we just got to go through. Difficulties that we got to endure. And without you placing your eyes on the hope of the resurrection... You're going to quit. You're going to quit. And even in here, in this room, some of you in here will quit. I pray that it will not be you. And even if you do quit, check it out. I'm a good shepherd. You want to come back? You come back with a heart of full repentance. We'll take you back. But there are going to be some of you. You're going to quit. And look, check this out. Let me give you a secret so that you don't quit the hope of the resurrection. And you see, the cool thing about the resurrection is at the, hope, at the resurrection of the dead, there's going to be rewards given out. There's going to be like a ceremony. Like a, I don't know if there's going to be a ceremony, but I'm telling you, I mean, God God is like pretty meticulous. He's going to reward you right and that reward that reward is going to be given out at the resurrection of the dead and this hope of future reward it freed paul from materialism it gave him to the power to go through and to go without things that many people feel they that they must have in this life because he knew that there will be rewards future reward at the resurrection see the hope of the resurrection is supposed to change our behavior In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told us to be hospitable to people who cannot pay us back in this life. And then he finishes it by saying, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Hallelujah. Not only do we look forward to sharing in Christ's resurrection, But there are all kinds of rewards to look forward to as well. The reason why I'm preaching about this today is because my prayer is that the hope of this resurrection will radically reshape your perspective on life. Reshape your perspective toward suffering and difficulties that you might have to endure while you're on this earth. Are you making decisions on the basis of reward only for this world? Or are you basing your decisions on rewards that are going to be revealed at the resurrection? Are you storing up treasures in heaven or just here on earth? New Philly, may you find great joy in the hope of the resurrection of your imperishable bodies. You can face anything here on earth because you have something wonderful to look forward to. And that resurrection will have radical effects on your life and obedience. Apostle Paul said it this way. I do not consider my sufferings right now. They're just light and momentary afflictions in comparison to the weight of glory. Glory. That will be revealed in Christ. Brothers and sisters. You are going to share. In the resurrection of Christ. It's not something we look back to the resurrection. is something we look forward to. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, we proclaim that resurrection. We praise you for the resurrection. But God, we also shift our focus. To the hope that we will share in that very same resurrection. For the resurrection of Christ is simply the pattern, the pattern of resurrection for which we ourselves will experience and enjoy. God, may we get out of this westernized thinking that at your coming, At your second coming, it's all just going to be about our bodies being abandoned and our spirits rising up, being renewed, Lord. we, We reject that, Lord. That's not in the word. Instead, we look forward to the resurrection of our physical bodies, God. And while we are on earth, we want to honor you with these bodies, Lord, that we may live lives of holiness and purity because we know that this body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, And we thank you that this temple of the Holy Spirit, this body, will not just be abandoned to the grave and to see decay forever. But you're going to raise us to new life. You're going to make all things new. As a father, we take hope in that, God. And we also thank you that at that resurrection, there's going to be rewards. Rewards for every good thing that has been done on this earth. For every good thing that you saw but nobody else saw. For the times you gave, we gave, oh, God, Lord, to the homeless. We gave to somebody that could not repay us. We intentionally gave to people that couldn't repay us. We just thank you that, God, there's going to be incredible rewards at the resurrection. So, Father, Lord, let this hope sink in so that, Father, as we move forward to advance your kingdom and we engage ourselves in some big projects that may require us to go walk through some difficult stuff, none of those difficulties will be able to delay or to stop or to make us doubt because our hope will be in the resurrection of the dead. We just thank you. We praise you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We pray for the 8101 church plant right now, and we just ask that, Father, Lord, that just continue to bless King Bar, like that place, turn it from a bar into a sanctuary. And I pray that you pour out your spirit so that, God, there will be different drinks that are served up in that place and that people, God, would experience a different joy, the joy of the Lord, that people will come to Christ and give their lives happily and joyfully to him as they meet the living Savior. We just thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.